This is UMass Hockey on WMUA Sports. Another episode of the Hockey Hour here on 91.1 WMUA. Guys, thank you for joining me along with Jacob Repper, John Ruggiero, Noah Glickman. I am Andrew Golden. And we got a lot to talk about uh, in that most recent series against Boston University for UMass Hockey because I feel like this, this series could have told a lot about you know the season to come. Yeah, Andrew, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on on a slushy day here in Amherst, Massachusetts in what was somewhat of a slushy series for the Minutemen. They went down. They lost the first game over in Boston University. They came on down to the Mullen Center in a home-and-home game. Looked like they had the game sealed up, 3-2 lead. And all of a sudden, Macklin Cellarini struck with just a little over two minutes left in the third period. We'll touch on that a little bit more. Ultimately went down in a tie, but, of course, it was a shootout loss. So, yeah, Andrew, back to your point. It could be a turning point for the Minutemen. We saw it last year when they went up, what was it, 4-0-1 to start the season, maybe 5-0-1? It was 5-0-1. 5-0-1, and it went a little bit downhill. Do I foresee that being an issue with this team? I don't think so. I think this team's a lot more stronger than that, especially with their age, but they have an opponent this week in Northeastern, just one game, but especially coming off that BU series, it's going to be tough to flush that one just just down. Yeah, you said it, Jacob. I mean, not only were they down 3 or were they up 3-2, they were up 1-0, 2-1, and then 3-2. So they blew three separate one-goal leads. Obviously, the third goal was a bit of a snipe by Celebrini there. Not much the Minutemen could do, but at the end of the day, it's got to be a momentum killer for UMass, especially after that first loss um, in Boston. So I, I don't know if um, they can bounce back here. I, I mean, they're going up against a tough Northeastern team. We'll get into that a little bit later, but... Would have liked to see UMass pull out at least one game. Uh, we talked about it last weekend. A split would have been nice. But unfortunately, the Minutemen weren't even able to do that. A split would have been nice, yeah, John. Um, I think it's important to mention also that they did come out with a point. They did come out with a fight. So I think that you know moving in these Hockey East rankings and these Hockey East standings are really, really, really important. Um, especially this weekend is really important. One game only. But, of course, this could be... A, a, moment, a momentum builder for the Minutemen. You know, they, they are coming up against the Northeastern team. They were ranked 18 starting the season. Now they're not even ranked um, in the top 25. They did receive some votes uh, for um, a ranking, but of course they are not ranked at the moment. So I think this could be a huge series or a huge game uh, for the Minutemen, which could ultimately build their momentum and even boost their confidence a little bit. Yeah. So I think that this weekend is very, very important for them. Yeah, I completely agree. And Andrew, do you mind just explaining the ties and the shootout for all the listeners that don't understand how that works? Yeah, of course. So in NCAA, this is for like blanket for all of NCAA. Uh, if a game ends overtime in a tie, that's what the, that's what it goes down as. It goes at, down as a tie. Um, but it's up to the conferences to determine how you get the extra point after that pretty much every conference has gone to the shootout uh hockey east was one of the first to do it and so uh it goes in as a tie for ncaa purposes for hockey east purposes obviously this was umass's first hockey east series of of the season uh they 
uh, they let BU get the extra hockey East point for taking the shootout, which is you know continuing. By the way, a serious problem over the last couple of years uh, in shootout woes. Uh, obviously, it was Musa, Cameron, and Ufko that went in the shootout uh, on Saturday. None of them scored, and you know it continues a trend of just not being able to do really much of anything in the shootout. Last year, they went over their first ten in the shootout before uh, winning their last two shootouts against a Vermont team that was let's 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 admit it they were bad. So and so you know over the last two years they haven't really they haven't even scored uh, in the shootout against a team that isn't you know bad. Yeah, it is continuing a struggle there. I remember at the Dartmouth series when we went, they did practice a shootout, and they did quite well. I believe it was Jack Musa who might have gone in the shootout, and he did quite well, and a couple others as well. Cameron as well. I'm sorry? Cameron as well. Cameron as well, yeah. Uh, Coach Carvel, I remember saying, found a more comfortable group of guys in the shootout, uh, but it's just more of a development thing. You know, of course, BU is a really tough team, but um, I think that... Going into a shootout and practicing shootouts more is very, very important. And I think that, you know, as Coach Carvel said, he did find more of a comfortable group of guys, a better group of guys. But uh, he's really got to address that a little more as it's continued to struggle since last season. And obviously, all three of you guys were at the Dartmouth game. I wasn't. So you you probably have a, a better idea of what he was looking for at that time. But, you know, let's just go over. I'm, gonna, I'm looking at last year's uh, schedule. Uh, and looking at some of the some of the shootouts they went into, uh, opening night versus AIC, you know at uh, Mass Mutual Center, they went over in in the shootout. Uh, AIC won that, I believe, one to nothing. Uh, it doesn't say here on the schedule, but I, I called that game. I remember that, and uh, that was that was a pretty pretty rough look. Uh, then the next the next time they were in the shootout was. In over in Ireland against uh, number four Quinnipiac, obviously eventual national champion Quinnipiac. So you know nothing nothing wrong with losing the shootout to the eventual national champions, but they didn't score there either. They lost that shootout one to nothing. And then uh, the next weekend, Noah, you and I were on the call for this game against UMass Lowell at the Mullen Center. They lost two to nothing, so they didn't even get their third shooter. And then after that was you know the Vermont series where they won both of the shootouts so you know those were against teams that were good and in AIC's case they were decent last year but it wasn't until they got to a bad team really in Vermont that they won or even scored in the shootout so obviously that is a big problem Uh, we I'm sure we know Greg Carvel's stance on the way overtime is run late uh in in hockey east and all over the place he's been vocally against three on threes obviously shootouts kind of stink but you know that's something that you got to figure out and especially when hockey east points are on the line we saw that last year when you know umass it was a couple of points that separated them from you know like four to eight and so they ended up getting the eight seed unfavorable matchup against a bc team that they hadn't beat in a while and that kind of hurt them in the end yeah and that, that's tough john you did you want to go no please go yeah ahead. so um but yeah back to the shootouts like you mentioned andrew we saw of course it was musa cameron and ufko cameron and ufko scored in that dartmouth series so 
I wasn't exactly su- surprised to see them out there. Both thought they would have come up big. They didn't, unfortunately. But ultimately, what a shootout comes down to, it's it's two elements. It's the goaltender and it's the shooters. UMass has a very good goaltender, Michael Robble, and we all know that. But it doesn't exactly mean that he's great in shootouts. Some goalies are very good goaltenders, but they struggle in shootouts. I'm not going to tell you right now that Robble's bad in breakaways and shootouts. We just haven't seen enough of him. But on the other side of the puck, for UMass's shooters, they went out there. They've got talented shooters. You could have brought in Suniev after that. You could have brought in maybe Morrow. The options are there. Are they going to be able to get it done in the future? That's the question. I, I think so. And I, th- I think, sorry to butt in there, but I think I, I, I did see uh, questions online as to why Suniev didn't yeah. get the get the nod in the first three, especially considering the kind of hands he has and the kind of shot he has. He definitely seems like he could be a dangerous presence in the shootout. And I remember last year when Morrow would get the nod and he'd just do nothing with it. He'd try and dipsy dangle between the legs and it wouldn't fool anybody. Uh, so I think I think he lost the trust of Carvel last year. So, I mean, John, if you want to go ahead now. I was just going to say, I think at the end of the day, they ran into, ironically, a hot goaltender in Matthew Caron. He stopped 38 of 41 Minutemen shots on Saturday night. He was pretty much unstoppable. He made a huge save in the, in the shootout. Um, and for BU, they've had goalie struggles this year through Caron, but he did really well in the game against the Minutemen, so an untimely thing there for UMass. But they have the goal scorers. I think they're going to be okay when it comes down to the shootout, but as you said, Andrew, it, it is an important thing at the end of the day. Some fans might think, oh, it's, it's just one point on the line, but it could you know, really determine where a team is seated in Hockey East. Yeah, Andrew, I don't want to necessarily say we jinxed it on our broadcast Friday night, but in the beginning of the broadcast, we did talk about how Matthew Karam was struggling under a 900 uh, save percentage at that point, but uh, kind of caught him on a hot streak. You know, BU has, um, excuse me, UMass has, of course, struggled against BU uh, in the past, and um, Jay Pandolfo has never lost a game both as a player and a coach to UMass, so I always found that to be an interesting statistic this weekend, but we caught Matthew Caron on a uh, on a hot streak. You know, I kind of I remember Coach Carville said he thought he stood on his head. He played really, really well. He did make a lot of clutch saves. So I think that you know we did catch him at that point. But also, you know, him in a shootout, he might have more experience than Michael Hravel. You know, so it's it's a bit of a a tough matchup when it comes to shootouts. But to me, I I, I think they played much much better that second game. Oh, absolutely, and I'm and it was I think it was pretty obvious that the uh, the game plan changed from from day to day, um, especially when it comes to attacking Karan. I think they recognized that he's kind of a. I I had mentioned it a few times. He's kind of an old school goalie. You know, he goes he goes way out of his crease. He threw a couple two pad stacks on. So you know, it, it was it was very clear that he had a he could have a tendency to get himself out of position, and you could you could tell UMass was trying to exploit that uh, in in the home game on Saturday, but. You know, there were a few times there where BU's defense really clutched up, especially, you know, when Karan was just in another zip code. Um, but, you know, the rest of the time, Karan did stand on his head. And, you know, you got you got to give credit where credit's due. And on, on, a, on a similar note, man, Macklin Celebrini, I mean, uh, we'd, we'd heard we heard we'd heard the hype. But like this guy was just unbelievable this weekend. And this was despite 
looking visibly bad. I remember, Noah, you and me commented that on Friday. He was visibly bad in the first period and of Friday's game and still had a goal on in uh, on even strength. Yeah, that's just crazy to me how a player <laughs> we we can believe looked visibly bad and would still, you know, come out on top of the goal and I believe even a sister too as well. So I think that, you know, seeing a player have that ability and especially you know I wanted to point out in that second game we saw that BU team that everybody was talking about you know we saw them come together we saw them make plays we saw them so quick with the puck so quick with the passing and I think that we really started to see that BU team that every that the hype was all around everybody was talking about I think we started to see that coming together and of course you know with the slow start that they have you know barely winning to Bentley and you know other teams like that you know I think that they're really turning things around, and sometimes it takes a couple games, but I think that we're starting to see that. Yeah, and it wasn't just Celebrini, like you said, Andrew, but the guys that we pointed out last week in the show, Green, Hudson, Luke Tuck, of course, getting their hands on a couple goals in that first game and also carrying over in the second game. But to add on to your point about Celebrini, he's just been unreal. He ranks 11th in the nation in points, 1.83. He leads the nation in goals with eight goals. And keep in mind, we talked about this. We were on camera, actually, Andrew, for the game, for the broadcast. He's only 17, which is crazy. Youngest player in college hockey. Youngest player in college hockey, and you see exactly why he's projected to go for the first overall pick in next year's NHL draft. I have to say, I didn't notice a lot of him off the puck. I feel like his defense, I didn't just see a lot of it to begin with. But, yeah, that wrist shot, his his skill is obviously there. If the puck's on his stick, he's going to make things happen. And I think that's what makes him so dangerous is that you you can just completely lose him for a while and then just... In no time, the puck is in the back of your net. I mean, I think that's what separates. Excuse me. I think that's what separates a good player from an from an unreal player is if you can, you know, be not very good away from the puck, but just still make it count when you have the puck. I think that just, you know, that that was the difference in in those two games, especially since uh, in the second game, uh, Celebrini. I, I had mentioned he, there was there was a bit of pressure that BU had. He tried to pick the corner. He tried to pick the short side corner once. Didn't work. He got the puck again. He tried to pick the short side corner again. Didn't work. Then got the puck again and then picked the short side corner. It's like he he was trying it. He was trying it. He was trying it. He was trying it. And then he it, it just worked when he found the room. Yeah, and to add what Jay Pandolfo said on Friday, you know, um, someone asked a question about their game plan against Macklin Celebrini and players like him, you know, and he said it's so hard to make a, a game plan against him with the immense talent that he has on the ice. So I, I just think that it's just so difficult to make a game plan like that because you never know what he's going to do. You never know what he's going to pull out of his pocket. You know, it's going to be so difficult to, of course, plan against him. And you, you just got to play your best defense and you just got to see what happens, basically. Yeah, I mean, this guy's the real deal. He was named Hockey East Player of the Week, I believe. Three goals, two months. Ass- player of the month. Or of the month, really. Wow. Yep. <laughs> so. Uh, three goals, two assists this past weekend. Just ran right through the UMass defense. Um, you said it, Noah. Kind of hard to prepare for a guy like that that is just so lethal with the shot, and it's unreal what he has done so far. But you talk about historical struggles, and that is exactly what UMass has done against BU. Struggled. They came into this weekend on a five-game losing streak against the Terriers. That went into a six-game losing streak, and then I guess they broke the streak with the tie on, on Saturday. But overall, 
this team historically has just killed UMass and uh, obviously we're not going to see BU again. Perhaps that's a good thing for them unless uh, it comes down to the hockey's tournament or something at the end of the year. But um, this, this BU team historically has just been very good against UMass. Yeah, I just want to add one final thing to the Celebrini point. Like you said, John, UMass just atrocious against Boston University, but they're going to likely have to play them again if UMass wants to make a run to the national tournament. They're going to have to play against guys like BC that have all these young, talented players. And the game plan, even though it's un- it's hard to prepare for. The game plan's simple. You have to keep Celebrini to the outside, and I thought they did a pretty good job with that. But one thing that sticks out to these young hockey players, the really high draft picks, the Connor Bedards, the Celebrinis, even a little bit of Jack Musa, what I've seen from him is it's the it's the audacity to shoot the puck every time over and over again. You could say something about a guy's wrist shot, his hands, how quick they are, but every time Celebrini gets the puck, it's turning and shooting. Top corners. He gets the nod, goes right back at it again. We're going to see a little more of that from Jack Musa and Idar Suniev, I think, as well. Especially especially once they grow into the NCAA role. Obviously, Celebrini hasn't had to do that just with the immense talent he is, but you, you made a good point. I think the the Hockey East this year is going to probably run through Boston. It ran through BU you know, last year. BU won the Hockey East, barely beating Merrimack, by the way. It was one of the bigger surprises of that season. And that brings me to my point about around this time last season. That is the team that UMass faced you know, this time last season. And obviously, we didn't know what Merrimack was going to become as a team that year, you know. But they, they kind of UMass kind of fell off in that in that Halloween weekend series against Merrimack. You know, it they they were going strong, five zero and one, and then it took them overtime to beat Merrimack. They they looked sloppy, you know, and then they went over to Lawler, looked even worse, lost in overtime. And so that was when the doubts started to creep in. It's like, wh- what really is this team? Is Did this team just face a cupcake schedule coming in non-conference and now they're folding in Hockey East play? But I think these two games, despite coming away with less points as they did last year against Merrimack, I think the outlook is a lot better, especially, you know, and, and Coach Carvel you know, repeats that sentiment too. He he said after Friday's game, Noah, that pretty much to a man, every player had to be better. And yesterday he had said, you know, that he thought that they were. And, you know, pretty much everybody was like, oh yeah, we, we, we thought we deserved to win that Saturday game. You know, we, we left it with our heads, heads held high. And I think that was a, a better precursor as to what we're going to see. I think, well, certainly. Um, I think what's interesting to mention is with that Merrimack series, as you said, they didn't look better. They looked worse in that second game. In this game, they looked better. They were able to respond to that momentum from Friday night where... Coach Carvel said that was the first night of the year that he was not happy with this team. So the way that they were able to respond to that, first of all, the unhappiness from Coach Carvel, but of course the unhappiness with themselves, with the way they played, I think that the way that they were able to respond to that really shows who they are as a team and what they're able to do. So I certainly have more faith in this team. You know, I have more faith in what they're able to do and how they're able to respond. 
Yeah, and I think to agree with you, no, I think a big reason why they had that decline, that sharp decline that they did last year is because of the absence in scoring from some of their upperclassmen. We saw Reed Lepster, Cal Kifuk, uh, Jerry Harding, even though, though he's not much of a scorer, all kind of just decline and regress in their play. I don't think you're going to see that from this UMass team. I just think they're too much of a veteran, well-poised group. And the scoring, John, you brought it up a few weeks ago. It's so well-balanced. There's nobody really leading in goals. Everyone's contributing well. Taylor McCarr is starting to get going. Ryan Lottenbach has been really solid, something that we like to see out of that upperclassman line. So I don't think we're going to see that regress that we did last year. But there's difficult games on the table. Northeastern's an unranked team. They've got Vermont, which is a little e- easier. And then they go up against the number seven, number nine ranked Providence team. It's not going to get easier for UMass, but there's certainly optimism going forward. Yeah, I mean, lots of great points there, guys. Um, I think, as you were saying, Noah, it just goes to show the character of this team. They're not going to get down on themselves. They're not going to get discouraged. I think a great example of that was during the Michigan series as well, where they came back after um, uh, a tough first game, and then even after being down after two periods to win 6-3. to three. And then, you know, this weekend came back, had a good fight on Saturday night against BU. So, hopefully that I mean, I think I would think it was kind of a momentum killer, but it's good to hear that their heads are held high, and I think that'll bode well going in to north to the northeastern game. Yeah, John, uh, that was a good that was a good point about the Michigan game too, because you know, Coach Carville, and I think we might have mentioned this before, but uh, after that game, he had said that last year that was a game where they might have folded. Uh, and instead, they came back, erased a two-goal deficit in the third period almost immediately, just kept on firing. They ended up scoring six unanswered in that game. Obviously, uh, gave up the the power play goal late when things had kind of, you know, when the referees had kind of lost control of the game. But, you know, from from year to year, I think we're all agreeing, guys, that you know, we've seen improvements in the structure of this team and of, you know, of, of the fortitude of this team. Yeah, absolutely. We're seeing improvements on the power play. We're seeing improvements in the penalty kill. You know, something I mention all the time is that you got to get pucks down deep really important. you got to just fire shots on net. I think that's really important, and I think that's what we saw, you know, especially this weekend with um, one of the power plays. I, I believe it was in the second period of the, the second game this weekend. Jack Musa just was having had the puck and was just kept firing it on Matthew Caron, and you know, they were able to maintain possession during that power play so well, and I just think that the chemistry of this team is much better. The structure of this team is much better. And I just think overall the reaction from this team is just so much better. And I, you know, that's what gives me hope. It's it's basically how they're able to perform together, what they're able to do together. And I, I just think that it's just so much better. It's night and day, especially even looking back on a game like Friday. It was night and day since that game from Saturday to Friday. I know you, John, would you like to go? Sorry. No, you brought up improvements all around the board. One thing that's not improving, though, is UMass is not so much the penalty kill, but the penalties that they're taking. It got a little bit better this series. They took four uh, Saturday night. They took three, excuse me, two the night before Friday. I guess it's trending in the right direction after that Minnesota State series, which was just 
abundant with penalties, but that's something that has to stop. They want to be continue being a good hockey team. It is trending in the right direction, but Coach Carville is still upset with it. You know, I asked him yesterday uh, during his media, I asked him, how do you address the, the immense amount of penalties that this team is taking when you want to improve on your consistency? And he basically said, we just have to find a way to stop taking these penalties. He thinks the penalty kill was good. You know, I asked him, how else do you work on the penalty kill? He thought it was doing good. You know, he thought that they're able to kill off those penalties really well, but he thinks that, you know, taking these penalties decreases the morale of the team, and also, you know, it really just doesn't look good as a team overall, so he thinks that they just have to find a way to stop taking these penalties and to really just improve their game overall when it comes to discipline. Yeah, and it shortens your bench, too. You're not going to see guys like Suniev and Jack Musa get on the penalty kill. That's just not what they do. So if you want a more balanced offense, you have to stop taking penalties and allow your top goal scorers to get on the ice. And I think that's why we didn't really see a lot of Don Zalochmelis in that second game against Minnesota State, too. You know, we we were looking for something to talk about in in his NCAA debut, and you really couldn't because they spent an entire period on the penalty kill, and that's that's not where he thrives. So uh, we, you know, obviously we saw him a bit more this weekend. He scored his first career NCAA goal. That was actually on a four-on-four after Kenny Connors was called for a questionable embellishment. I mean, he got hooked like Bo Peep, but still... Got got called for embellishment, but you know that's neither here nor there. When uh, Don's Lochmelis is able to s- just slip away with the puck from off of Luke Tuckstick from behind, just come in all alone and and hit it through Karan's five hole. I mean that was just just an un- unreal goal we've we, to see from a guy in his third career NCAA game. I mean, in the greater scope of things, you talk about. The penalties. UMass has taken 39 on the year, according to their uh, stat sheet. Their opponents have taken 35. So not only are they taking penalties, they're also drawing penalties. And I, I think that, I mean, then that stat is probably padded from the Minnesota State uh, series. But you talk about special teams. They've been very good on the power play as well. Jack Musa leads this team in power play goals. All of his goals have come on the power play. So special teams are a huge part of this UMass team, especially if they're going to take penalties and especially if they're going to draw penalties. Lots of times they're going to be playing either up a man or down a man, down a man and they really just have to adjust to the, um, the scene. And, you know, as you said, Jacob, the, the bench kind of gets shorter when uh, they take those penalties, but it seems that they're um, drawing the penalties as well, which can be good for some of those other guys to get back in on the ice. And, Noah, what was I texting you Uh during during that game was I hadn't seen Van Roboys in like a period and a half and because I thought he I I thought Carville was was keeping him on the bench so he wouldn't take a penalty. First time I see him, boom, he takes a penalty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You said he took a a a, a bad penalty there and when they do get a shift, so he was, you know, that 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 was the issue i think especially with these younger guys you know and i think that they just need to improve their discipline and i think that you know it it was tough because you know especially since they were taking these penalties you know i think that it's it's so tough they just got to really watch their sticks and they just really just got to watch themselves basically and i i i think that it's certainly important with discipline, especially with these younger guys. You know, I think that that's something that needs to be implemented, basically. You, you talk about, just one last note here before um, 
we go to an ad and talk about Northeastern, talk about Van Roboys. He's taken the most penalties on the team with five in ten minutes, so they've all been uh, minors. But he's the guy that, you know, is going to take the penalties and he's going to be physical. And I, I, I mean, it's not his job to take penalties, but it's, it's interesting to see that Carvel held him out of the game just out of fear of him taking a penalty. So we'll have to see how he responds to that coming up. That was that was definitely something that we had circled at the beginning of the season. Like this, this guy is probably going to get on fans' nerves sometimes for the amount of penalties he takes. But he was still going to be a pretty valuable part of this team with you know with the amount of faceoffs he could win. Uh, let me let me get the stats here if I can. Uh, Venero boys one five lost two in that game. So obviously. You know, and and that's that that's a trend throughout. So, role players everywhere. You just got to worry about where to put them. And we will talk a little bit more about that um, after the ad break and in our preview of Northeastern. And about a minute here on ninety one point one WMUA. Ladies and gentlemen, and others, we here at WMUA love you just the way you are which is why you should always wear a helmet when riding a bicycle. All it takes is one distracted driver for you to be left with potentially severe injuries. And if you're in a full-body cast, it'll be extra difficult for you to tune into 91.1 WMUA. A message from Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous. I came to Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous overweight and depressed. I was dieting, binging, stealing food, and lying about it for years. For help, call 781-932-6300 or visit foodaddicts.org. I knew I had a weight problem. I didn't know I was addicted to food. The FA program gave me a healthy body. I'm free from obsessing about my weight or food. Call FA 781-932-6300 or visit us on our website at foodaddicts.org. You're listening to UMass Hockey right here on 91.1 WMUA, the radio voice of UMass. Welcome back to Hockey Hour on 91.1 WMUA. Jacob's getting berserk over there. And, uh, oh, yeah. So let's get into that preview for Northeastern, guys. They obviously started the year you know, ranked. Last week they were ranked 18th, you know, and, and they've fallen off after they've gone 2-2 two and two to start the year. They, they won 7 to nothing against a brand-new Stonehill team, which, by the way, uh, on Northeastern's website is listed as a Hockey East matchup. That could be something to keep an eye on, on <laughs> later, later on. But they tied to Quinnipiac, won, won in the shootout, and then beat Bentley, and then are on a two-game losing streak for actually both of last weekend. They lost to New Hampshire 4-1, to who might actually be a wagon, so that might not you know be too bad but then they they lost to merrimack as well both by scores of four to one uh so guys any anything you guys want to talk about with them 
Yeah, well, I think the first thing that stands out to me is it's it's not a two-game series. They're only going to see them once Friday night. Of course, the next day, UMass football has their homecoming, so it should be a pretty packed weekend. I can imagine a lot of people are going to hopefully sell out the Mullen Center. It would be nice to see that. But, yeah, getting back to what you said, Andrew, going up against an unranked Northeastern team, of course, I don't know if we touched on it, UMass jumped up one spot in the rankings from 19 to 18. But this is, we talked about it before, this is a game that they have to go out and win. I know I feel like we say that a lot. you got to come out. you got to get the points but another hockey's matchup it's a game that's in sight northeastern they're a good team bring back some veterans last year but the hockey's matchups they're going to keep coming they've got vermont after that providence now's the time to start winning and now's the time to start getting hot and it's Sorry, John, go ahead. No, please. And especially when you're just getting started with those Hockey East matchups, you need something to boost your morale. You need something to boost your confidence. And I think especially a win in this game here will certainly do that. You know, They had a tough two-game series against BU, of course, only getting one point out of it. But... I think that they need a game like this to boost their morale, of course. And I don't think it's I don't think it should be without noting that they did beat Quinnipiac technically. So I think that's important to see, especially the team coming off winning the national championship. I think that's important noting that they can come out dangerous and they can come out hot. So I think that UMass can certainly take that to consideration and make their game plan accordingly but i think especially when you're getting started with these hockey east matchups you know you you have to get something to boost your confidence and i think certainly that this series can do that you know as i look out the window of the student union the snow's falling outside and cameron whitehead has the shots fallen on him the northeastern goaltender he faced 36 35 shots last week against Merrimack, a subpar Merrimack team who uh, blew the doors off of Northeastern. 4-1 to the final there, and the Northeastern's on a two-game losing streak, so talk about game plan, Noah. I think it's just get shots on net. This is a team that's going to allow, it seems, a high amount of shots, so that could bode well for the Minutemen. Uh, you know, they had 41 shots against a very good BU team, so I think a number like that would be absolutely stellar on Friday night. You know, before before we went on air, we were talking about like who who did this team lose Northeastern from last year to this year, and you know it like dawned on me Devin Levi, yeah that's big, Huge. you know, and obviously Whitehead is proven to be a pretty decent goalie. He's a freshman, correct? I believe. Yep. Yes, freshman, freshman from the U show. You know, so he's he's proven to be a pretty good goaltender, but. He's no. He, he's not going to be any Devin Levi right now. Not in his first year, and especially after Devin Levi has, you know, he won the Richter back-to-back years. I believe, if I'm if I'm correct, I believe that's right. But you know, that's a big piece that they're losing. And Coach Carvel said it too. He's like, I don't care who is back there as long as it's not Levi. So you know they. I think I think they're chomping at the bit to really break in a new goalie here. I mean, look at his stats so far. He's played in four games. He's only allowed nine goals and made 84 saves. So that number right there is pretty good so far. I mean, nine goals, four games, that's about, well, I mean, it's a 2.26 goals against average. So that's pretty solid for a, a freshman goaltender. Um, so I guess you look at um, Northeastern, they allow... A lot of shots on net, but they're also not putting the puck in the back of the other net on the other side. So um, it'll be interesting to see how the Minutemen um, can take control of this game 
Um, like I said, I think it comes down to shots on net, but also they have some dangerous goal scorers. You look at a, a guy like uh, Justin Riscovian. He's a returner from last year. He's a very good forward. Um, so at the same time, while Northeastern isn't really scoring many goals, you can't take them lightly. Yeah, and you mentioned, John, that they don't put pucks in the other net. You know, I really think that's important, especially against this UMass team who has such a strong defense. You know, you have Owen Murray, Scott Morrow, Ryan Ufko, all of these returning players that have just proven themselves to be so strong. But something I mentioned during the broadcast was I noticed that Idar Suniev is such a defensive-minded forward. I think he's so on top of the puck, and I think he's just always throwing himself out there and really just putting pressure on the the other team to really give up the puck, and I think he's just so good with that. So I think that this is going to be really tough for that Northeastern team, especially with such a defensive presence in this UMass team. It's been an underrated part of that line is their forechecking abilities, too. Obviously, Don's Lochmelis' goal came off of a strong forecheck. Sunyev has that ability as well. It's definitely an exciting line to look at. And, John, you brought up Ritzkovian, one of the powerful forwards, but they also have Cameron Lund, the second-round draft pick, 34 overall by the San Jose Sharks in 2022. Bridgewater, Massachusetts native, just 19 years old, and this is a kid that UMass saw last year. He was a freshman, now he's a sophomore. Put up 23 points in 35 games this year. He's got six points in four games. A really dynamic center. We talked about Celebrini getting to the middle. This is a kid that thrives in the middle of the ice. You're going to see him a lot in the high slot. And also on the faceoff dot, which is a big reason why this Northeastern team ranks fifth in the nation in faceoff percentage at 57%. John, you and I went to Matthews Arena last year to, to watch and call um, UMass at Northeastern. They lost that game partially due to the, the power play that they had. Uh, they had Justin Ritz-Covian down low. They had Aiden McDonough in the bumper, who's gone. He's in He's in the AHL now, so that's a big loss. They had Cam Lund and Sam Colangelo, and they had Gunnar Wolf Fontaine on PP2, which is just just crazy. You know, the, the amount of talent they had, Gunnar Wolf Fontaine, the Predators prospect. But, you know, McDonough's going to be a big loss for him. I mean, he's already proving to be he was their captain last year. Uh, Sam Colangelo, I believe, is gone as well. He's the he's the Ducks product, right? And, and I think McDonough, he was in the running for Hobie. I thought he was in. Yes, he had a yes, shot at it. Yeah, yeah. Colangelo's gone. You know, so those are two big pieces. In addition to Devin Levi, you know that that leaves this Northeastern team kind of, you know, lacking a bit of depth at the forward spot. And especially since Jack Hughes transferred over to BU, we saw him last week. Obviously, he didn't put up the, the quite the numbers you would have expected him to at Northeastern, but that's a big loss too. Yeah, and just to butt in really quickly there, Andrew, um, I mentioned just Justin Witzkovi, and he's only played one game, and that was against Stonehill. So you talk about lack of depth, it looks like this guy might be injured. So... That's a that's another big loss for Northeastern. I mean, we're not too sure on his status, I, I suppose. But, I mean, he put up two assists against Stonehill, and he hasn't played since. Definitely something to keep an eye on, especially since Justin Ritzkovian's a guy that you're not going to keep him out of the lineup. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, looking at, looking at the statistics so far this season, they've played four games. Cam Lund, pretty much you'd expect, is, is leading the team in points with six. Vinny Borgesi, 
also tied with them and uh with six and you know it kind of takes a dive from down there so forward depth is going to be an issue and that's something that umass especially prides himself on uh is greg carvel talking about how this is the, the best forward depth he's seen on his team in potentially years yeah, I don't think just forward depth, but also also on defense too. They we've seen them rotate a few seventh defensemen in there, which brings me to my big question for you guys. This is a north northeastern team that, like we said, doesn't have much forward depth, and a UMass team that has been pretty good defensively, and a lot of that is because of Michael Robble. If you guys are the goaltending coach this Friday, who are you starting? Robble. There's no there's no question in my mind. Yeah, I'm starting Robble as well. I mean. I I I I think I'll we'll start Harabble, but you look at last weekend. Obviously, big, strong BU team allowed eight goals, um, and Carvel said a couple weeks ago he's going to go with the guy who he thinks is going to win them games. At the end of the day, I think that's uh, Michael Harabble, but going up against a kind of subpar northeastern team have some injuries don't have the forward depth maybe you see cold Brady. there's a small chance i wouldn't rule it out at I, the, at the i end would of- say subpar sorry to butt in but i would say subpar only to their standards yes. as they as they don't seem to have the the strength that they have in recent years but that's still not to knock on them i mean they've been in the rankings all year and they're still receiving votes so i i, I don't think that this is a team that UMass is going to take lightly, you know? So I think given that, and given that Coach Carville also doesn't care about the rankings, <laughs> I think that he is going to go with the goalie that he thinks is going to win. And I don't think Robble did anything to lose the net yesterday. Or sorry, last weekend. I think he had a good series, you know? I don't think, I think most of the goals he allowed weren't his fault, you know? It was just, from BU beating him, especially on Celebrini's second goal, second goal on Saturday that tied things up. That was just Celebrini picking a corner and beating him, you know? So uh, I, I don't think there were... I don't remember any goals where I was like, wow, Hrabble should have had that. And, you know, I think that's the difference when, you know, I, I, in recent uh, Cole Brady games, it's like, wow, Brady should have probably had that. We, I, I don't think I've been able to say that yet with Harabal. And so that's why I think it's still his net. It's going to be his net until he loses it, basically. I agree. So you're saying you should give Harabal a start every game going forward? I wouldn't say every game. They, they showed it last year where, you know, if there was, if, if, if there was a, um, a back-to-back against two teams that or a single team that may not be as good, you know, they'd split just to give, just to get a guy off his feet. Um, but I think if Hrabble, or I think if, if UMass is playing a good team two nights in a row, that Hrabble is going to get the net in both of those nights. So you think there's a chance we could see him, or Cole Brady, perhaps against a Vermont team? That's That's the series I have pinned as as seeing Brady again. I don't think we're going to see him against Providence. We're not going to see him against Harvard. You know, it, it's. I think it's going to be Robles net for most of the way out here. Slow your ho- horses there, fellas. I've yet to answer my own hypothetical question. I'm going Cole Brady. Going wow. Cole Brady. Wow. How's that? Really? I'll tell you why. 
last time Cole Brady has played was against Michigan, that first game of the series, which was October 13th. I think, like you said, Andrew, Robble hasn't done anything to lose the net, of course. He's, he's a freshman going up against Cole Brady, who's now a senior, I believe. That's correct, yeah. So when you have a freshman goaltender, I don't think it's okay to stick him out game after game, especially, like you said, when he hasn't let up goals that should have been his fault. He hasn't had the record, really, that you might have with his performance. I guess he's given up eight goals in the past two games. I'm putting in Cole Brady. I'm saying, listen, Robble, you've done a great job so far. You've made the saves that we've needed you to make and then some. You went 0-1-1 this past weekend. It's not on you, but we're going to throw Cole Brady in there because I don't want Brady to get all cold and, and not be able to touch the ice in a while. Yeah, um, that, that's a good point. If that makes any however, sense. However, last year... You know, I I think that I think Cole Brady's proven that he can go in cold, especially last year. You know, obviously the the main series he had already played some games, you know, up up to that point. But you know, when when he took the net last year, he was ice cold. You know, it was Pav's net, and then for a while it was, you know, he was Henry Graham was the backup. You know, we were, we were worried that Cole Brady might be in the doghouse even, but. You know, let's see when it was that that Cole Brady might have taken the net. I believe it was during the Northeastern series or during during the I think it was the BC, BC. series where, yeah, yeah, where Graham or Graham or Pavisic got lit up. Uh, I'm looking at February 17th, the seven to three loss. Uh, it was Brady's net. He was he was he came in relief, and then it was his net the rest of the way. So and and that was after you know being the third goaltender for you know much of the winter. So I don't think that I I don't think that Brady being cold is something that is going to be on the minds of you know coaches, Carvel, you know the goalie coach. I I think I I think he's just going to go with the hot hand, no matter what. So I guess that's a good point that you brought up. I didn't really think about that. I guess you could call him cold Brady, if you will, <laughs> but. It doesn't bother you at all that Michael Robble is a freshman coming into here. He put up a really good first couple of games. He's given up eight goals, like I said, in the past two games. Do you want his confidence getting shot down to the floor against the Northeastern team if he doesn't play well? The only thing that I was worried about for Robble going in was whether he could assimilate to the NCAA well, and I think that he proved to do that. So I think, you know, now that he's here, he's here. If you guys, if you guys want to add anything to that, I agree, Andrew. I mean, look, I wouldn't be surprised either way if we see either goalie this uh, Friday. But at the end of the day, I think they should stick with Ravel. He has proved himself. He has proved that he is ready to see NCAA ice. He's ready to win games. I mean, it's a guy that shut out a ranked team a couple weeks ago. So. I don't think you can take him out now when, I mean, he's kind of, I wouldn't say he's on a hot streak after BU, but he's, you know, he, he's still in there and he's making big saves and he hasn't made any real big mistakes yet. Yeah, John, I agree 100%. You know, he's absolutely proved himself, especially when, you know, you're standing, he kind of, he made a lot of great saves and really, you know, I think he stood on his head against that BU team. Because I think that especially with what they were coming in with and especially with what everybody expected from them, you know, I think that he, you know, I think that he went up against them very well. And I think that 
you know, even though, of course, it, it was a tough series, I think that he overall did a great job, and I think that he was able to prove himself quite well. And I think that, especially with this Northeastern team, and especially with what they've lost and what they're coming in with, and the the, the losing streak of two games that they're coming in with, I think he can prove himself pretty well again. I guess my conclusion is that Northeastern is not a team to be taken lightly. You know, no matter where they are in the rankings, no matter how far they've slipped off the rankings, um, in terms of votes, they're now 26. Um, but, you know, teams have been outside of the rankings that have surprised. You know, UMass was number 32 in terms of uh, in terms of vote getting uh, before they swept Minnesota State, and then they found themselves all the way up in 19. Uh, UNH was picked to finish 10th or last in Hockey East, and now they're at 15 in the entire country. You know, so uh, if you're if you're in the conversation, you're in the conversation, and I think that obviously you can't really take any team lightly uh, in the NCAA, but especially one that has been on the rankings. And so that's why I think it's going to be Probles net this weekend. Uh, and you know, for pretty much most of the rest of the way, fully agree. Andrew, do you, do you mind if we go into some lightning quick, uh, predictions before we wrap up the Absolutely. show. Can I get one final point in there? Sure, just, go ahead. Just, I think, yeah, Andrew, I think that's the ultimate rebuttal is that you can't take this Northeastern team lightly. So I could see the point, but if I'm Coach Carvel, I'm, I'm telling Michael Robbo to just sit down, pat him on the back, his six foot seven frame, and say, listen, buddy, we're going to sit you out this one. We're going to bring in Cole Brady, who does pretty good in his comeback games. I, I think that's the argument for Brady is that he bounces back pretty well. And I'm saying, Robbo, we'll get you back in soon. Don't worry, pal. Right, but but that's just me. And ultimately, my final point would be that it's really not Coach Carvel making the decisions. Mm-hmm. I want to reiterate, especially that. since he gave up those abilities to a new goalie coach. Exactly, which he keeps referring uh, reporters to when they ask goalie questions. <laughs> Steve Masterlers is the name. If I butcher that name, I'm sorry. But yeah, that's ultimately the goalie coach sees the goaltender all the time in practice. He knows which goalie is going to be fresher, which one looks more technically sound, and ultimately he has the final say. That's my final argument, John. Let's go back into your predictions. All right. I'll start it off. I think UMass bounces back, gets the win, 5-2 to two under Michael Rabel. I think that's that's a little generous. Again, I think that you know you shouldn't sleep on this Northeastern team. I do think that UMass is going to come through with this one. I do think that they will win, but I'm going to say 4-3 under Michael Rabel. You want to go before I wrap things I'll up? I'll take it. I think UMass <laughs> comes out, and we're going to see a shutout from Cole Brady, 3 nothing. <laughs> I think it's going to be a good performance, and then it'll be a Robles net after that against Vermont. All right. Well, there you go. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna predict our first walk-off winner of the of the season. Ooh. I think it's going to be uh, 3-2 UMass. Uh, I think Robles I think is going to save about 28 of 30, probably. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. You can you can you can at me if I if I end up being wrong on that. But you know I, I think this is going to be a really well played game. Uh, I'm excited for this Friday. Uh, I hope you guys all are too. Uh, for Jacob Repper, John Ruggiero, Noah Glickman. I hope you guys had a happy Halloween, everybody. From Andrew Golden. Uh, have a great night, everybody. <laughs>